Good morning. Great to see you all here this morning. It is really good to see you all here this morning. Um, I would like to begin this morning with a little bit of audience participation. Don't, don't, don't freak out on me. But I'd like a little bit of audience participation here before we get started. I want everybody here, and I'll be able to see you, and I'll be able to call you out if you don't. I want everybody just to look around. I want you to look around. I want you to see people, people you recognize, people you don't recognize, smile, wave, be friendly, act like you like each other, do the whole thing. Look around, genuinely look around at each other. I see someone who's not looking around right now. There's quite a few different people in here, right? There's quite a few different people in here. Let's figure out a few different groups of people in here. And the thing that I want to focus on is just the, the amount of different kinds of people that for some reason, of all places you could be, decided to be here in this space with these people. Like, why? Let me ask you this. Do you know everybody in this room? No. So you're hanging out with strangers this morning. What did you do on Sunday morning? Oh, I went into a place where I hung out with a lot of strangers. Well, that's a little, that's weird. So there's strangers in here that you don't fully recognize. Why are you here? Let me ask another question. And this one, this isn't picking on anybody in particular. It may sound like it is, but it's, it's not. There's different ages of people in this room. Now, I know what is polite and what is not polite. A couple people gave me a lot of really weird-looking looks there. And so I'm not asking for ages here, but I am going to ask a few questions. If you were able to watch or you were alive when the moon landing happened, I want you to raise your hand right now. Okay? Put your hand down. If you remember learning about the moon landing in history class, raise your hand. Okay? Put your hand down. Now, let's, let's, let's work this way down. If you remember in the 90s when the Soviet Union collapsed, raise your hand. I didn't, I, I'm not, my hand's not raised for that one. I'm just an example. If you learned about that in history class, raise your hand. My hand now is up. Okay. Let's go a little bit further. Today is 9-11. How many people in this room remember 9-11? How many people don't remember 9-11 in this room? Raise your hand. My hand's up. So all sorts of different ages of people are here. I mean, you see the internet. You see older people making fun of younger people and younger people making fun of older people. And, and, and you see that there's these hostilities between generations, yet you're here with all sorts of different kinds of people. Why? Why? Why would you do that? I'm going to keep going with this because this is really, really fun. I'm, I'm having fun with this. I want to I wanna pick on in particular, I want to I wanna pick on even just uh, my, uh, my coworker and brother, Pastor John. Because he picked on me last week. Thank you all for the birthday wishes, by the way. <laughs> but it's not my birthday today. Um, are Pastor John and I very similar people? Not. Some people are kind of, eh, maybe, maybe not. What? Handsome, yeah, that's fair. That's a commonality. <laughs> but if you know anything about Pastor John, 
One of his favorite things to do is he's a woodworker. He likes to build things. He likes using his hands to build things. Some of you like to do that. Some of you like to work with your hands. You like to, maybe he's, he's, he's kind of an outdoorsy kind of guy. He likes being outside and, and seeing different things. He's got a bow. He's got all this sort of stuff. He fishes. He's a fisher. And he likes it. And he tells stories about how big or how small or, or normally how big the fish are that either he got or just got away. Eunice knows what I'm talking about. Now, for those of you that know me, know that I am nothing like that. I don't like working with my hands. I can, but not nearly to the level that John can. I don't, I, I'm okay with the outdoors. I like it, but I like to go back indoors. He wears, thank you. He wears, he's a, he's a flannel-wearing kind of guy. I'm a guy that wears star constellations on my T-shirts. Or some of you make fun of my toucan bird T-shirt that I have worn on this stage before. Yes, I realize what I'm wearing. Very different people as pastors here. How can we get along even? We're very different. And I haven't even talked about some of the more difficult ways that we don't all agree on the same things. I won't call hands for, you some, for this one, but some of you preferred some of the songs in worship that were more hymn, and some of you preferred the songs in worship that were a little more contemporary. There's differences here. There's different kinds of people from different places that have different ideas of how things are supposed to be from all sorts of different generations, from all sorts of different professions, from all sorts of different places, and you're here. Why? When else does that happen? What I want to talk about today is the mystery of what's happening this morning here and the mystery of what's happening all over the world this morning in different places about how people can come to it come together and though are very different though peoples can come together and become a people become a people notice the distinction there going from peoples to people and the place that we're going to talk about that is in the book of first peter please open your bibles to the book of first peter first peter chapter 2 we are going to be in verses 4 through 12 first peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 12 if you were here last week you would know that john again I'll, i i love my brother john here that John kind of dove a little bit into my passage that I'm going to be presenting today. And, and he may have felt really bad. I appreciate it because I don't have to. You, you covered it. You're good. I appreciate that. So no, no sweat off my back. But Pastor John, the, last Sunday, as we were continuing through First Peter, as we're continuing through exploring what it means to grow in holiness in the midst of suffering, you're going you're gonna to keep hearing that, and it's going to drive you nuts, but it's that important that as we go through the process of holiness, of growing closer to God, suffering comes our way. And last, and last week, John talked about this um, these idea of pursuing pure spiritual milk and removing these negative traits, these negative selfish traits from our lives. Why? Because we are being built into something. We are being built into something. And John hinted at the fulfillment of that when he went to 
the book of Revelation and talked about the new heaven and the new earth, the temple that God is building that isn't being built with wood, cement, or, or rebarb or anything, but is being built in ways that we can't fully see like we can see a building. And he, he hit on that future fulfillment, and that's a glorious truth, and that's beautiful. I want to talk about what's happening right here today. Again, this I want to talk about what's happening right here today. And for that, let's read verses 4 through 8. Please read along in your copy of the scriptures with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do so. So there's a lot to unpack in this section. There's very big words that we've heard a lot. If you've grown up in church or if you've been a part of church, you've, you've heard a lot and it's easy to gloss over them and not fully realize what those words mean. So we need to break this down verse by verse to come to a proper understanding here. Again, going over some of these verses that were a little bit covered last week. Thank you, Pastor John. I appreciate it. Verse four, as you come to him, question is, who is him? Answer, Peter gives it for us. A living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That, 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 um, that command that was given in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, of putting away all malice and, and longing for pure spiritual milk, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if that, that is the process of coming to him being Jesus. When we pursue this, what's called pure spiritual milk, this this guidance, these commands, this, this, this offering, this salvation that God offers us, that is us coming to him. You can ask, well, how do I believe in Jesus? Well, he has offered us a gift. He has offered us a salvation. And we come to him. But what's so special about Jesus? Well, he was what's called a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. The world did not accept Jesus, so much so that it killed him. But in the midst of that, God was working. But in the midst of that, God was working. And by by the world rejecting Jesus, Jesus was able to fulfill his plan to allow for what's happening in the next verse. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Notice the connection between us as living stones and Jesus as a living stone. The, The task of the Christian is to look like Jesus. The task of the believer in God is to replicate God with his life. 
with his or her life. And when we, when we come to Jesus, we take part in this invisible building project where God is building something great out of multitudes of different kinds of people that transcends our ideas of generation, of preferences, of opinions, and focuses us on one thing, that being Jesus. It talks about how we're being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. We're going to talk about holy priesthood a little bit later. It's important, but I want to focus on this part right here, where we talk about this spiritual house. Allow me to make a distinction in your mind here. Allow me to draw two different ideas here. You all, whether you're listening online or you're here in person, you are taking part in what is called a local church. Congratulations. You're here. We're glad that you're here. You've gotten this far. Well done. The local church is a place where a group of people meet, whether it's in a building, whether it's outside, whether it's on a beach, whether it's in a house. A group of people meet, and what happens there is that God is worshipped. God's word is shared. People come together in, in prayer and, and in the breaking of, of bread, Acts 2.42. You're here. You're taking part in that. Well done. Great job. But that's not what this passage is talking about. Allow me to say something. You can go to church, go to a church all your life. You could grow up in a church all your life. You could come to church regularly or irregularly. But it is possible to come to a church and still never be a part of the church. That sounds weird, right? But that is the distinction I'm trying to make. Because what Jesus is talking about here is not something that is located in a physical location, but it's something above time and space and something that we can't even comprehend. Because this spiritual house, what it is, is the distinction between the church local and the church universal or the global church. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that while people meet in their own communities, in their own places, in their own parts of the world, there is a group bigger than that that only God knows about that is the actual amount of people that are a part of God's church. Like it says, it's a spiritual house. It's something that we as, as physical matter, as, as, as physical people cannot fully understand because while we can only see each other, you can see your friends going to church, you can see your friends reading the Bible, you can see your friends going to all the different events. You can go to those and we encourage you to go to those. Those are fantastic things to do. But it's possible to go to those and still not be a part of the church. And the way that we know how someone is a part of the church is through what the scriptures say, coming to him. It's through believing in, in the message of Jesus Christ, the, the, the living stone that was rejected by men but chosen and precious in the sight of God. Whereas when Jesus Christ lived on this earth and he died on the cross, he paid for the sins of all of the world. And that if we believe that to be true, we turn from our sins and we trust in Jesus to forgive us of our sins, then we believe in what is called the gospel. We believe in the message of salvation given to us 
revealed to us by the scriptures, given to us by the sacrifice of Christ. At that point, you are a member of the church universal. You see the difference here. Do you see the, the possible danger that can exist of saying, I go to church this many times out of the year. I send my kids to, to this ministry, VBS, Gather, Grow, Youth Group, whatever else. You know, we, we go to church on Easter and on Christmas and times in between and whatever else. We may even go every Sunday, but if you do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, this part of the scripture talks about two different kinds of people. And this is where we take a dive back into the Old Testament. Because Peter here doesn't just speak doesn't just speak on the authority that God has given him. He looks back to the scriptures that he would have used. Something we always have to remember is that Peter and Paul and even Jesus and all these guys, they didn't have a New Testament. There was no New Testament. They were writing it. So the scriptures they had was the Old Testament. You know, that big part of, the, the big two-thirds of the Bible that's really hard to read through? That was their scriptures. And so Peter refers back to a couple of passages in Scripture. He says, for it stands in Scripture. Notice that wording. For it stands in Scripture. The first passage he quotes is Isaiah 28, verse 16. Behold, I, being God, am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Well done, Peter. You're using your Bible to support your theology here, your scriptural interpretations. This is something that we need to do. If we believe something, we need to see how it stands against the scriptures. Well done, Peter. Thanks for showing us how to do that. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, this is that second group of people that Peter mentions here. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118, verse 22. Verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do so. G Peter is distinguishing between two kinds of people, those that believe in the Lord Jesus, that, that believe in God's message of salvation, and those that do not believe. Something that we all need to recognize is that in some way, shape, or form, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, if you believe in God, if you're doubting God, if you're, you're questioning, if, you're, if you're, you're more turned away from God, whatever you, wherever you are at in your spiritual journey, first off, God knows that, and God can handle that. The second, but second off, according to what the scriptures say, Jesus affects everybody. No matter what we believe, as these scriptures say, Jesus either affects everybody now or will affect everybody in the future when he returns and brings about the judgments. But what I want to really focus on here is that what this passage, this section of the passage is, is how we, how through Christ, we become a people. We become a people by believing in the resurrection of Jesus, and then we are instantly brought into this wonderful spiritual building project where we are all valuable members of that project. 
And notice it's a continuation. Jesus, it says that he is, he is building. Or we are being built up. We are being built up. It's a continuous action. It, doesn't, it hasn't stopped. It's continuing into the future as God builds his church. And this is the way that though we disagree, though some of us lived through things, others learned about it through history class, Though we have different preferences, though we have different desires, though we have different ways that we believe the world should work, we have something to hold us together. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, a group of folks from Calvary, Pastor John and, and Eunice, I think, lost sense. I'm trying to remember everyone that came. Some of the Paternosters and, and Bob Cook, and if I forgot anybody else, I, I don't think I forgot ever, anybody else. One of our students from youth group as well. We went down to a conference in Indiana where it was a conference that was called Why Eschatology Matters. For those of you that don't know, eschatology is a really fancy word to say the end times, the book of Revelation, the last part of the Bible where it looks forward into the future of what God is going to do. And what happened is that there was a speaker that believed in a lot of these different little um, nuanced views of how the end times are going to be fleshed out. All sorts of different beliefs. But everybody, and this was what was so cool, is that we all sat in a room and listened to these speakers disagree with each other for hours. From 9 a.m. to, what, 12.15? And then we had a, an hour break that was rushed through Pizza Hut. It felt bad for the Pizza Hut people. We came back, and from, what, like 2 to, to 5? Six hours we spent listening to people disagree with each other. Who does that? But the whole time, the whole time, everybody was focusing on the fact that though we differ on certain interpretations of really complicated parts of the Bible, we believe that Jesus Christ saved us from our sins. And we believe that Jesus is coming back. And that Jesus is going to destroy sin once and for all. It's important to learn those things. It's valuable to learn those things. It's good to learn the nuances and the nitty-gritty nitty of it. If you have questions about all that stuff, then talk to me after the service. I'm not getting into it right now. But at the end of the day, we believe in Jesus that holds us together when our disagreements, our lack of understanding, our lack of experience separates us. That is how we, through Christ, have become a people. But then I think a natural question could arise. Why? For what purpose? What is our purpose as a people? God made a people through his son. It was a pretty big sacrifice, dying for the sins of the world. That's a big sacrifice. Why did God go through all that trouble? To make us into a people. He could have chosen to, to make himself king of the world and, and, and just, just completely forgotten about us. Why did he do this? Well, the next parts of the passage tell us. And for this, we need to go to verses 9 through 10. Please read these, these verses with me. After talking about those that do not believe in God, they stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do so. But, buts in the Bible are important. Always remember that. 
but you, you plural, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, so that, here's the reason, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what is happening in this passage? When somebody is brought into this global church, this universal church, you believe in Jesus, you are given these specific blessings, these abilities by God. You join into these different groups that God has designed, and these are all very connected to the Old Testament. Now, the Bible is all one big story, guys. And so in order to help understand these, we're going to have to jump back to our Old Testament a little bit. I'm going to go through each of these different titles individually and and pick out what's going on in each of these different titles because they sound a little weird and in our day and age some of them sound a little iffy start out with the first one this one sounds pretty iffy but you are a chosen race okay hold on a second what are we what are we talking about here because you take this one the wrong way this could get really ugly really quickly There's a lot of different times that people, that Christians, have used this verse to advocate for one set of beliefs that gave them their own interests that went away from what God was designing here. We have to remember that all of this is something that we can't fully see, but that we experience. And so when it's talking about you are a chosen race, one of the most infamous ways that this verse has been misunderstood was in the 1930s and the 1940s. Many of you know what happened in that time. But there was a a nation by the name of Nazi Germany, who, by the way, was very influenced by Christianity. Ooh, that's not good to know. And what they did is they looked at this verse and they they were able to misinterpret this verse to suggest that this chosen race was the Aryan race. Blonde hair, blue eye. And it was one of their ways that they used the Bible to justify an agenda that led to the slaughter of millions of people, not the way of God. So when I'm talking about we have to be careful, we have to be careful here, guys. And we have to recognize these are spiritual truths. It's not that, that when someone believes in Jesus, their, their race or the way they look or the place that they're from changes. You know, we remain from our places. We can't remove our our heritage, whether we're born in this place or in another place, or if we look different than our neighbors down the street. But what this is saying is this goes back to the Old Testament. Because God worked through one specific kind of people. You might know them as the Israelites. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll continue to talk about them. But in, this, in the Old Testament, God was working through one specific kind of people, the Israelites. And this was a, 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 an ethnic or racial division. Those are two different things, though. Note. But it was, a, it was a division and said, God is working through these people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, the prophets. All these different people were Israelites. And they descended from one kind of people. You can go back to the book of Genesis if you want to figure all that out. But what God does with this new spiritual house is when Jesus dies on the cross, he opens up the way that God works 
and, and, and doesn't keep it in one specific group of people, but expands it to the whole world. If you're not Jewish, you should be grateful for this. Because God decided to allow the entire world to believe in Jesus if it would, if it would choose to. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how different people look than you. You are accepted into God's kingdom. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. We'll talk a little bit about nations here in a second. We have brothers, and, and, and I think we can be real, we have brothers and sisters that look a lot different than we do all over the world. And I think we would be remiss and foolish if we did not find ways to listen to them. To recognize that we're brothers and sisters. And it's this really beautiful thing. I remember as a teenager, I went on a missions trip to Costa Rica Pastor John brought me there for some reason. And in this place, there was, there was people there. There was people from Costa Rica, Latino people. And some of them didn't speak English. And I know I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't do well in that class. We didn't share a similar language. There was very, and I remember being there and trying to have conversations with some of these, some of these, um, some of those people there that only spoke Spanish. One of the guys that ran the place, I think his name was Ron or something like that. But he, to my knowledge, he didn't speak much English. And if he did, he didn't speak it with me. But the way that language, though was a dividing wall, the joy that he showed us as people that had no idea even where we could point out Costa Rica on a map, let alone its history, let alone its culture, let alone how these people work. His love for me, a foolish high schooler who said things that were not very smart, his love for me was amazing. And it was a love bigger than himself. It was love that was given by Christ that unites us no matter how different we are. You, plural, are a chosen race. Continuing, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Okay, this one deserves a little bit of time. What does this mean? For this, again, let's go to our Old Testament. What is the priesthood? The priesthood was, in, was an institution that was made by God in the Old Testament. And it was made because, it, because there was an issue with man being able to communicate with God. Back at that point, Jesus had not come and died for our sins. So our sins were that block between us and God. If you wanted to meet God or talk to God or hear from God in the Old Testament, you had to go to a physical place, and especially if you sinned, which you did because you're sinners, we're all sinners, you had to go to a physical place, bring a physical animal, go to a priest and say, I sinned and I need this animal to be killed on my behalf. And the priest would take the animal, put it on the altar, there's different ways that it worked depending on what was going on, but in essence would kill this animal in order to temporarily cover your sins. And you sat there, you heard from, they, they would have taught about God, you could have prayed together with them, but you needed a middleman to get to God. You needed to go find a person on earth to, get to, to make sure you could communicate with God. Now, 
How is that different from today's world? From now, from the new covenant? Well, it's different, not because we no longer have a middleman, but because we now have the perfect middleman, that being Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, he was able to remove that wall that was between us and God. And he was able to be our perfect priest so that when we believe in him, we have, and he is with us wherever we go, we have constant access to the Father no matter what. Absolutely. You don't need a middleman to get to God. Well, you do, but if you believe in him, he's always with you, so you always have access to God. This is what's called the priesthood of all believers. That's a Baptist distinctive. It's the P part, Baptist. We like our acronyms, apparently. And I think many of us in this room would affirm that, would believe that, would say, yeah, that sounds right, but what does that mean? How does that change the ways we think? Let me get a little bit of audience participation here. Do you need to have another believer to get you to God? Audience participation, what's the answer to that? No. Do you need to have a spouse that believes in God in order to get to God? No. Do you need to have a spouse at all to get to God? Do your parents or your kids have to believe in God in order to get to God? No. Do you have to go, do you have to be in a church building in order to get to God? No. Let's Let's get a little bit more complicated here. Do you need a pastor to get to God? No. You don't. You don't need me to get to God. You can go to God freely. His throne room door is open. God speaks to you with or without a pastor. Do I want to get rid of pastors? Absolutely not. I am one, and I like it. I hope I'm a blessing to you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Pastor John is another pastor. Do you need him to get to God? No. I would have believed that he's a blessing to you. He gives himself a hard time sometimes, but he's a blessing. There you go. This is, a, this is where the, the rubber meets the road here, guys. God is still as much at work now than he ever has been. God doesn't stop when we don't have a pastor. Thankfully, there's, there's two here still. God will continue to work. God is continuing to work. You are a holy priesthood. Royal priesthood, sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. The next title, a holy nation. Again, this one deserves pause, and this one deserves looking back to the Old Testament. As God worked through one specific ethnic group of people, he worked through one nation group of people. Back in the Old Testament, there wasn't nation-state lines like there are today. Lines of nations in the Old Testament were not drawn by physical boundaries, but by groups of people. Land was very important. When a group of people lived in a certain land, they were the nation that lived there. 
It was a little bit more divided back in the day than it is now, where nations can have different kinds of ethnic groups in their own borders. But God was working through one specific nation, that being the nation of Israel, that God had chosen out of his own free will, not to their credit, but because of his mercy. Whereas now in the new covenant, because of Jesus coming and dying on the cross, God expanded that. We have to remember the context of this passage. First Peter, these are churches that are being persecuted in Asia Minor. A lot of cultural influx there. A lot of different kinds of nations. Romans and Greeks and Scythians and Jews and, and, and Egyptians and, and Libyans and Punics and everything else. All sorts of people. And the Jews took a lot of credit. We're God's chosen people. We have a special access to God. Well, according to this passage, that was removed at the cross of Christ. Does God care about the Jewish people? I think so. I think he cares about all people. But God no longer works in specific nations. Does he work in nations? Yes, but he works in all nations. There's no chosen nation that God uses. God uses Christians within all nations, all over the world. There's no national spiritual hierarchy that exists. We are all believers in Jesus. And this can get complicated. Because sometimes we have to ask the question, will a decision benefit this country more than it will benefit the church? And I think the answer that we have to go with is, well, we need to follow the teachings of Jesus. We are a holy nation. And it's interesting that God put this right next to royal priesthood. Royal priesthood signifies individualism. You're your own priest. You alone can get to God on your own. But you have this holy nation of Christians, of believers, that are with you in this, where you work together to fulfill the mission that God calls you to. There's a tension that exists. Because while we are our own individual believers, and, when, and God speaks to people in ways that we can never understand, we can never write it down on a paper and say, this is how it works. But also God works through his church, his people. And we are designed to build each other up, to help each other. We can't run this thing alone. We can go to God when we may be alone. But we are not alone. We have each other, and we need each other. The spiritual house that God is building, we are living stones. The stones build on each other, right? with Christ as the cornerstone, Christ holding the whole thing together. And we are a people of his own possession. We are owned by God. God possesses us. God has us. God has you. These are a lot of great blessings, but why? The passage says, so that so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of, his, out, of, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. We talked about how through Christ we become a people, and then at that point the reason is so that through Christ we may worship as a people. All of these different blessings are given to us for the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies and the plans of God, for recognizing and sharing in this world and worshiping God because of his great mercy for us. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy all through Christ. Through Christ, we become a people. Through Christ, we worship as a people. The next part, and I'm, I'm, almost, I'm getting close to being done. The next part, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Being welcomed into this spiritual house, into this global universal church that we can't fully see, but that we know is, is there isn't an excuse to avoid things. In fact, it's, it's raising the bar on us. Remember holiness? It's raising the bar on how we are to act. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Remember back to chapter 2, verse 1? So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Those are passions of the flesh. And notice how divisive those passions are. Sin is a divisive thing. We can try to excuse ourselves with little sins here and there, but in and of itself, in and of its very nature, sin is a divisive thing. The first sin that happened divided man from God. And it will always divide us from each other. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. And... Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Again, the context, these are Christians that are getting persecuted, that are getting insulted and ridiculed and social outcasts and even tortured and killed for their faith. Doesn't mean that we get to fight back. Keep your conduct honorable honorable, following the ways of this new, new house, this new covenant that God has put us in through the death of Jesus. So that when we, so that when we are spoken against, when someone accuses you, there is nothing there to accuse you by. The scriptures also call that above reproach. So that they would see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We talked about how through Christ we become a people. We talked about through Christ how we worship as a people. And now through Christ, this is how we act as a people. We become a people, worship as a people, and act as a people all through Christ. And so the question that comes from this in your own personal lives is that are you recognized by your good deeds? And I'm talking good deeds here godly things. 
Are you recognized by your care for people? Are you recognized by holding to the truths of Scripture? Are you recognized by your unity? If sin is divisive in nature, Jesus is unifying in nature. Are these how you are recognized, both by believers and, this specifically says the Gentiles, the unbelievers more than likely is what it's talking about. Those that don't believe in Jesus, there's a witness there. If you're recognized by your love and care for people, that's a pretty good witness. I think I talked about that the last time I gave a message. But how were you recognized? Are you recognized as somebody that follows the ways of God and cares for people the way Jesus cares for people? Or is it when people think of you, they say, ah, he's, or she's, uh." I tend to avoid that person. How are you recognized? And if you don't know, ask friends, ask family, ask people around you, ask people, godly people that you trust. If you don't know that answer, you better find out. It's that important. Through all of this, are we different people? Yes, we are. I'll answer that one for you. Don't need any more audience participation. I get it. Are we different kinds of people? Absolutely. And we will remain different kinds of people. I'm not giving up my star constellation and bird shirts. I'm not. We are different kinds of people from different places, from different generations, with different ideas. Some of that stuff will never be able to go away. But I don't think that's God's plan. I think that we all come closer to Christ and that we all have our own temptations throughout our own preferences and cultures and expectations and generations and whatever and that we are supposed to come towards Christ. But that will, we will never all look the same. But that's okay. Because God is doing something bigger in that where this world recognizes unity, God is, is, is redefining what true unity is, and that is a belief in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So yes, we are different, and I think that God likes it that way. Do we need to keep growing in holiness? Do we need to keep growing closer to him, recognizing our own shortcomings? Absolutely. But God will continue to work through a people that is very different. And don't let that discourage you. Realize that whenever you encounter believers, it doesn't matter where they're from, what they believe, how much they made you mad this week, there is something bigger than both of you that requires us to worship God together so that he is glorified. And so that in, when revelation does come, and when there are all tribes, and there's, as John says, a great group of people before him, a multitude that he could not number from every tribe, nation, tongue, language, and peoples, worshiping the throne, saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worshiping as a people. That That is our, that is what we are supposed to do. And I pray that you would find ways to do that.